Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We're going to spend the next few minutes looking at Exodus chapters 1 and 2 together. So do keep your Bibles open at page 59. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the treasures that are within. And we pray that as we look at this ancient story of Moses, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would encourage us to look to you, all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, today we're beginning this new sermon series looking at the story of Exodus, and I'm really excited about it. I've loved the preparation this week, Um, we've got a real treat in store as we look at the story of Exodus. It's perhaps familiar or has familiar elements for all of us. The birth of Moses, the act of loving rescue from his mother as she places him in a basket in the River Nile to save him from Pharaoh and crocodiles, how he was brought up against all odds in the courts of Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, his fall from grace, his rise as a leader, going through the Passover, and how, he, how Moses eventually led God's people out of slavery in Egypt and to the very edge of the promised land. The word exodus means exit or departure. And here in this great book of Exodus, we see God's story from slavery all the way through to salvation. And my hope and prayer as we go through Exodus together, as we travel through these great stories together, is that we might be reminded to trust God in our generation. After all, that is something that you, like me, will need to be reminded of. You see, we live in a culture, don't we, that is wary of anyone who makes a pronouncement or a promise because we just aren't sure if they'll carry them through. We wonder who we can trust when we see uh, promises broken or ignored in the world of politics. And we see leader after leader, including those in the Christian church that we have trusted, come under scrutiny and then be found to be wanting either morally, financially or sexually. There was another such story just yesterday in the press. We see stories in the press of the decline of the church. We wonder when we experience things in our own lives, if we can really trust God, if he is good, if he's on our side. You and I need to to be reminded to trust God in our generation. And Exodus is a wonderful book to do that. Why? Because here we see the unfolding story of God's salvation plan, the unfolding story of the God who makes promises and keeps his promises, always has, always will. The God who we today, like the people of Israel, all those years ago, can trust in. So let's begin by setting the context of what's going on in the history of God's people. If you've looked at the first few verses of Exodus 1, Do have a look, cast your mind, your uh, eyes over those verses. You'll see that we've got the lists of the sons of Jacob, the brothers of Joseph of Technicolor Coat fame. If you know this story, you'll know that the people of God have ended up in Egypt because they have followed Joseph there. In verse 4, there were just 70 of them, but then... um, In verse 5, that generation die off. But the Israelites, the people of God, in verse 7, are fruitful. 
Those couple of verses cover a wide time span. They prosper and are prosperous. They've increased in number, and now there are loads of them living in Egypt. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us, really. After all, flick back one page in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. As Joseph, who his brothers and his dad followed to Egypt, is about to die, he says this. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, God had made a promise to Joseph's forefathers, and Joseph knows that God is going to keep it. So what is this great promise? Well, track back even further to Genesis chapter 12, that's on page 13 of your Bibles. God says to Abram, who is then Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever uh, curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God promises to Abraham, another great man of the faith, a place And Moses will lead God's people to the very edge of the promised land. He promises that they will live under his blessing or his rule. And then he promises that they will be a great nation. In fact, in Genesis 15, these people are described as being as more numerous than the stars in the sky. And we see that promise being worked out when we get to Exodus chapter 1, don't we? The people of God in Egypt are prospering and are prosperous. God is keeping his promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the promise that Joseph knew about. But then in verse 8, disaster strikes. A new king, a new pharaoh comes to power. And this pharaoh doesn't know the history and he is nervous of the Israelites He worries that they won't be loyal to the Egyptians if war breaks out. And so this Pharaoh does three things. And at first glance, it could look like God's plan was thwarted. Have a look with me. Firstly, in verses 11 to 14, Pharaoh puts the Israelites to work to forced, harsh labor, building building cities, presumably to render them weak and unable to grow in number. But in verse 12, we read that despite the difficulties they were going through, this harsh, hard labor, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. You see, God was keeping his promise. But then Pharaoh goes a stage further. And in verses 15 to 19, he tells the Hebrew or the Israelite midwives to kill all of the baby boys that are born. It's an horrific pronouncement, isn't it, on the people of God? But in verse 20, we read this. God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. See, God is keeping his promise of a great nation. You see, no earthly ruler could or can sway his purposes. God is the God we can trust. That's something for us to hold on to today, isn't it? However disappointed we might be by our leaders, 
however wobbled we might be in our faith by what we see happening in the world, far worse situations than ours here in the UK, whatever difficulties we may face in our personal lives, we can trust that God can use these situations for his good. We can trust him and his word because he is sovereign, he is kind, and he will always keep his promises. Well, then Pharaoh does a third thing. At the end of chapter one, he takes things to the final extreme. Have a look at verse 22 of Exodus chapter one. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. And that's the context, the background into which Moses is born. It's precarious, isn't it? His very life is in danger. His people are in slavery in Egypt. But once again, we see through this great story that we can trust God and his promises. You see, Moses' mother keeps her child safe for three months And then because she knows that she can keep him secret no longer, she makes a heart-wrenching decision to place her baby in a basket. She coats it with tar and pitch to make it watertight and waterproof, and she places her baby in the Nile, among the shade of the reeds, where it was less likely to float away or to be caught by hungry crocodiles. And this act is remembered in Hebrews chapter 11 in the list of the heroes of faith. Moses' parents are remembered for this act of faith. Hebrews 11:23 says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They're an ordinary couple, so ordinary that we don't find even their names out until much later on. But they had so much trust in their God that they were prepared to live by faith despite the circumstances in which they lived. Now there's something else happening here that I hadn't picked up before. Commentaries are amazing things. The word for basket is the same word that is used for what carried Noah and his family to safety in Genesis chapter 6. The word used is the word ark. It's only used twice in the Bible. The parallel is intentional. Someone wrote, both Moses and Noah passed through the deadly waters by riding on an ark, the vessel of salvation. It's great, isn't it, these little details? Anyway, we see the faith of Moses' mother being rewarded. Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter, who just so happens to be walking along the riverbank at just the right time. Although she knows that this is a Hebrew baby that her father is trying to wipe out, she protects him. Not only that, but did you catch that amazing detail? Moses' sister, who is incidentally keeping an eye out for her baby brother in the reeds, well, she suggests that her mother be employed to nurse him, which is what happens until Moses is old enough to be independent. We read in verse 10, don't we? When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And so Moses is brought up in the Egyptian royal palaces, an Israelite Israelite baby, a death sentence on his head, but now primed to be the king of Egypt. Isn't that amazing? 
God's provision and God's protection. God is at work. Despite all the odds, humanly speaking, God is keeping his promises. Why? Because that's what God does. He is sovereign and we can trust him. And we then come to the rest of chapter 2, which we're not going to cover in great detail, but things take a turn for the worse, don't they? Track it through. Moses sees his people being oppressed and working hard. He knows that he's one of God's people. Maybe his mother has told him his heritage. In verse 11, Moses sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so he kills the Egyptian and hides the body. And the next day, he sees two Hebrew men fighting. Ironically, he's mocked for trying to lead them, given what's going to happen later on in the story of Exodus. But he realizes that he has been seen. And so Pharaoh finds out and Moses flees. He finds himself in Midian by a well. And there he meets the family that will become his. He marries Zipporah and they have a son, Gershom, which means I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. And at the end of chapter two, well, Moses seems far from the leader he will become. He's an unlikely hero, far from home, on the run, a murderer seemingly not fulfilling the greatness that he was once destined for. But more on that as the story unfolds next week. You know, despite how things might look from a worldly perspective in chapter 2 of Exodus, we get clear hints, threads of grace, don't we, that God is still faithful and at work and that God's people and even Moses himself can trust him. Have a look at the very end of chapter 2. Pharaoh dies, the Israelites are still in slavery, and they call and they cry out to God for help. And then verse 24, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God saw, God heard, and God was keeping his promises. In chapter 1, we see Moses being born into difficult circumstances, not of his own making. In chapter 2, he finds himself in a complete mess due to his own actions. But God is still there, keeping his promises and hearing his people's cry for help. And friends, this is the God we worship, faithful one. The God who is faithful to his promises, who will work them out today, whether it is circumstances outside of our control or circumstances that we find ourselves in because of our sin and rebellion against him that just cause us to cry out for his help. God is faithful and we can trust him. And maybe you need reminding of that today. You know, I love um, jigsaw puzzles. My dad and I started a new one yesterday and the Bible is like a big jigsaw puzzle. In Exodus, we see the pieces, the hints and the clues of salvation, rescue coming together. But we only understand the big picture when we understand how it points us to Jesus Christ. This week, uh, as Mick said, our home groups are starting a Lent series um, looking at the book of Exodus. It's called Freedom to Serve. 
do have a chat with me afterwards if you'd like to join, as Mick said. But wouldn't it be great this Easter if each of us, as we travel through Exodus, as we pick up these puzzle pieces and understand more of what God is doing in his big picture story of salvation, that when we get to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that we're more amazed and blown away by the cross of Jesus Christ and learn more and more what it means to trust him in our generation. So what can we glean from Exodus chapters 1 and 2? What are these puzzle pieces today pointing us to? Moses. We have seen Moses, this baby, surrounded by reeds, drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter in chapter 1, finishing by drawing water from a well in chapter 2. God has been intervening in these first couple of chapters in amazing ways. And although it doesn't look like it at the end of chapter two, Moses is the one who God will one day use to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt and lead them or draw them through the waters of the Red Sea, or as it is also known, the Sea of Reeds. Isn't that a fascinating detail? And then Moses will lead these people through the desert to the very edge of the promised land. But he begins his story with great uncertainty. And of course, these pieces of the puzzle point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't a mistake. It's all there. It's meant to make us think ahead to Jesus. Think of him. Born into a manger born with the threat of a king who was trying to exterminate all the Israelite baby boys hanging over his head. Then taken to where? To Egypt, of all places, to be kept safe. Jesus, who the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 3, is far greater than Moses. Why? Because he is the one who can rescue us from slavery from, to sin, the one who will not just lead us to the edge of the promised land like Moses did, but through his death and resurrection will lead us into the promised land forever. As we close, can anyone tell me a church architecture uh, moment? Where in the church you're sitting this morning? The answer's not pew. What's this part of the church called? Nave, Nave thank you. Does anybody know what that word is derived from in Latin? Can't hear. Somebody said it. Boat. Thank you, David. Boat or ship. Now look up. The church in which we are sitting is built like an upturned ship, an ark. This very building points us to our need for rescue from sin. It points us to the rescue that is ours through Jesus Christ. He is the only one who offers us a safe passage through the storms of life. Friends, look up beyond the ceiling. Look up to Jesus and trust him. Trust that he is the culmination of God's salvation plan. Jesus is the only one who can pull us from the raging seas, the turbulence around us, he is the only one who can conquer sin and set our feet firm and safe on the shore of heaven, a promised land. You see, what God is doing in Exodus through Moses is a blueprint, it's a microcosm of what God is going to do for his people. 
through his son, Jesus Christ, and it shows us today that we can trust him. Why? Because he's the same. His character doesn't change. God knows today. God hears today. God cares today. He is sovereign and he is kind, and we can trust him whether we find ourselves in circumstances outside of our control or circumstances due to our sin that cause us to cry out and call out for his forgiveness, we can trust him. You can trust him because he is the God who keeps his promises. And maybe you need to be reminded of that today. So I'm just going to give us a moment to pray. Think about the circumstances that you find yourselves in. Let's bring them to God and tell him that we want to trust him. Place our hands in his and trust him. Lord God, we are so grateful that you are sovereign and kind and good, that you hear us, that you know us, that you care about us and our circumstances. We thank you that you are the God who works all things together for the good of those who love you. And Father, we pray that you might give us a deep sense of trust in you because of how you've acted through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the rescue that he has provided for us. And we pray that we might take shelter in him. And that as we continue this journey, we might know where we're headed to the promised land. Help us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.